Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Who are the new faces under center, and how will the new coaches adjust? And can anyone take down the Goliath of college football? Well, we break down every team in the SEC and more right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking downfield for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College Football Legends. Heroes come and go. But legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Chris Smith. Give me a follow on Twitter at the Sports Jesus. That's at the Sports Jesus. The month is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and features, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You heard it, a seismic shift in college football. The SEC will add Texas and Oklahoma in 2025, if not sooner. The SEC would become the first FBF conference with 16 teams since the WAC did it from 1996 to 1998. For the SEC, this would be the third instance which they add two teams to the conference since it was founded in 1932. In fact, this isn't the first time that two Big 12 teams joined the SEC as Missouri and Texas A&M made that move in 2012. Arkansas and South Carolina joined 30 years ago. And what do they say in the SEC? It just means more. Well, I asked two-time national champion and former Gator tight end, Tate Casey, isn't the proof just in the hardware? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can really trace back all the way to 05 or 04 with, with LSU starting that out, you know, and there was some really good football being played. I think that really had a lot to do with dialing in my decision to go to college. You know, LSU was high on my radar. Um, Florida was high on my radar. Arkansas was up there. I think that SEC football literally does just mean more. A lot of people, especially if you grew up in the South and, and you watch different styles of football, it fits for a lot of a lot of guys coming out of high school. Um, and, you know, Clemson lately has come on strong, but it, it's been dominant. And some of the players that are getting kicked out in the South and going to the league and, and, and having a lot of success at that next level, it's really hard to argue. Who's, who's ran college football for the last 15 years? So let's take a bird's eye view of the conference, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who enter as the favorite to win the SEC championship. The returning national champs and conference champs are seeking their 29th SEC title. No one else has more than 13. So who is Alabama's main competition in the SEC West? Well, it looks like it's Texas A&M. The Aggies have the second highest chance to win the division. Now, Georgia is the prohibitive favorite to win the SEC East, but Florida is right behind them. So can anyone topple the Crimson Giant? Well, Jeff Mazidlo, sports writer at Yard Barker, likes one in that group. One team to me that that's, that kind of stands out is Georgia. And I think that's just because uh, JT Daniels has kind of taken hold of that, that quarterback position. And that's something that 
I don't know if they're they're still good enough to beat Alabama at this point because, like you said, Alabama. It, it's it, it, one of my favorite cliches, and and sports writers don't like to use them, but I always this one goes back to high school when one of our local area softball teams had T-shirts printed up that said, "We don't rebuild, we reload," yeah. and that's exactly <laughs> what, what that's exactly what Alabama does, obviously. But I think Georgia is is a unique team. I think they they you know last year every again everything was kind of crazy for teams last year. They 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 really struggled uh, at times offensively. I, I like their defense. They've got some some key pieces coming back, but also now that they've solidified that quarterback position, to me that's a team to watch. Again, I, I think it's still Alabama, and then there's a good amount of space, and then you've got some of these other teams. And can we talk about playoffs? Cue the Chimora uh, playoffs. Playoffs. Yes, we're talking about playoffs. Once again, expect to see an SEC team in the college football playoff, if not multiple SEC teams. The All-State Playoff Predictor gives the SEC a 94% chance of sending at least one team to the playoffs the highest chance of any conference. The Predictor also gives the SEC a 31% chance of sending multiple teams to the playoff the highest of any conference. There are seven teams with at least a 20% chance to reach the playoff, according to the Predictor, Three of those are from the SEC, led by Alabama at 72%. And it's been 24 long months since the last SEC kickoff event heading into the 2019 season. And eight of those 14 teams have changed their head coach since the teams last convened in Hoover. So let's take a look at each team and is Tuscaloosa the new title town? Let's take a look at the Alabama Crimson Tide. They went a perfect 13-0 with 10-0 in the SEC last season. In the playoff, they embarrassed Notre Dame 31-14 in the Rose Bowl, then spanked Ohio State 52-24 in the national championship game. It's the sixth national championship in the past 12 season, but a significant percentage of the talent that brought that title to Tuscaloosa is off to the NFL. As often the case, Alabama had plenty of reinforcements to step in. The incoming class has 22 ESPN 300 signees, and the Crimson Tide nabbed their second number one class in the past three seasons. Alabama has signed 77 ESPN 300 recruits in the past four years. That's 11 more than any other school. And the job the Tide have done on that recruiting trail has NBC Sports college football analyst Eric Froton's Head spinning. What does Nick Saban do? Oh, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> he follows it up in 2021 and puts forth the highest graded recruiting class in the history of recruiting. You know, since since the you know the, the recruiting uh, era ever. <laughs> ever. The entire history of you know 247, rivals, ESPN. Since they started grading these recruits, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it was, and actually being Having a system for them, numero uno, an absolute murderer's row of talents. You can't say up. Especially, I mean, the big flip that they got at the end too was Oklahoma was was said to be in the lead for you know RB two of the twenty one class, Kamar Wheaton. All mm. the whole way through, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. He was he was like I believe two forty seven had him almost one hundred percent going to Oklahoma. Well, that turned on a dime, and Kamara Wheaton, uh, at the last minute, goes, and he signs with Alabama. As mentioned, the top safety in the class, Darian Arnold, five-star safety. Last minute, signing day, he signs with Alabama. 
you're bringing in two five-star recruits as the top guys, you know, one or two at their positions after already bringing in a mer- just an entire offensive line of yeah. stars. Five-star five booking star. tackles. J.C. Lake, yeah, Latham, number two prospect in the entire class. Number one tackle, J.C. Latham. Oh, yeah, that's the left tackle. We're going to bring in five-star Tommy Brockemeyer. <laughs> no big deal. We're just going to go into Fort Worth, Texas, bring him in. And we're going to bring in his his little his quote little brother, who's just a four star center, James Rockemeyer. Bringing him in too, you know. So they just, they went and you know they had to go and replace Landon Dickerson. Yeah, uh, you know they had they had to replace Alex Leatherwood, left tackle. Their offensive line won the Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country this season. And they go out and they just get an abs. I yep. mean, just they got a line. It's the whole line. They yep. have the whole line they brought in. And not to be outdone, okay, we mentioned the, the iconic 2017 wide receiver class that, that Alabama put forth. Yes. Okay, yeah. so, geez, Devontae's out now. There goes Waddle. He's hitting the road as well. You know, we got Mechie there. He actually isn't even doing much in spring now because he's he had surgery for undisclosed ailment. She's good, but the guy had five, six drops last year. He had some concentration issues. He, he's good, but hey, we got to restock the, the cupboard. We need some more wide receivers. No problem. We're going to go get five star Ja'Cory Brooks, 6'3, 185. That's, what, that's fine. I mean, the kid is amazing to watch. It, it, Emmanuel Egbuka was an uh, Ohio State recruit who got the number one uh, designation, but man, Ja'Cory Brooks is number two, and he ain't far behind. What a receiving talent you're looking at here. You know, that. Whispers of Julio Jones coming uh, about him being that. And then, I mean, a GA Hall. No big deal. He's another he's wide receiver five, according to 247 Sports, 6'3", 290. So he did it to outside guys and said, all right, well, you know, we need somebody kind of like Waddle. We can move all over the place. Let's go pick up number, wide receiver 10, JoJo World, another four-star wide receiver. While we're uh, here. Slot, <laughs> slot machine. Yeah, there we go. Three top 10. Overall wide receivers from the 2021 class, mm. they sign all of them up. So nobody reloads like Alabama. Nobody does it. They're, they're running back room. Oh, you know, again, they signed Kamara Wheaton, but they already have former number one, um, you know, <laughs> they're oh, uh, former number one. They're uh, backing, it's five stars backing up five stars. Yeah, Roy Dell Williams and Jason Cullen from last year's class. Uh, you know, both of them top ten recruits. Chase McClellan is is a revelation. Uh, he's supposedly in the mix. I don't even know who's going to start for them this year. We, who knows? Any of these four star superstar running back could, could end up getting the starts. It, it was just an embarrassment of riches, and you know, more reason why Alabama is the class of college football, whether we like it or not. And it's just how it is. And this recruiting class is more evidence of when you're a blue blood. And when you're when you're Nick Saban, you get what you want. And he even gets what he wants in the coaching ranks. After three members of last year's staff left Tuscaloosa to take FBS head coaching positions, it wasn't a problem for Saban. A pair of former NFL head coaches are among the six people to join the staff for 2021. Now, the Crimson Tide have six QBs on the roster, but only one has thrown a collegiate pass. Bryce Young, the top-ranked quarterback and number 5 overall recruit in the class of 2020, appeared in nine games as a freshman, completing 13 of 22 passes for 156 yards and a score. Now the cupboard isn't completely bare for Alabama's offense. 
Three of the seven players with at least 250 receiving yards last season return in 2021. John Michi, Jaleel Billingsley, and Slade Bolden. But it's the versatility of Billingsley is what has a scout and NFL draft analyst Ryan Roberts salivating. Plays more like a slot receiver. He's like almost like a, a big slot type of receiver who's listed at six foot four, 230, 235 pounds. So he needs to gain a little bit of weight. But Alabama asked him to do a ton of different things from playing in line, playing H, playing in the slot. And he, I mean, they were even running some like jet sweeps to him at some points too. So he's, he's that type of athlete, basically a big wide receiver. But I, the first moment that I kind of caught a glimpse of him, I didn't even know who he was. I just saw 19 <laughs> out of the corner of my eye. Caught your eye. Yeah. Caught my eye. You know, I'm watching, I think I was watching Najee Harris at that point and the kid, you know, at, at, again, as an undersized tight end, uh, as a, like an H what, you know, absolutely destroyed someone and, and planted him in the ground in the run game. And I'm like, whoa, who is that big wide receiver? And then you kind of watch him and, and see what he did during the season. And I think that he is that potential dynamic move piece. I, I think he might be a little bit of what people wanted Evan Ingram to be coming out of Ole Miss. I think he has that type of skill set. I think he's a very smooth, athletic kid who has some vertical speed to him can do a lot of things. I mean, they, again, they were running not only jet sweeps, but they're play, throwing bubble screens to them. Like, this guy is kind of the modern day what you're expecting out of that tight end position to play multiple spots. So he's kind of my early favorite to be a huge riser. In the backfield, Brian Robertson Jr., Chase McClellan, and Trey Sanders are all back after combining to rush for 862 yards behind Najee Harris. So we got to know, how much does Nick Saban have left in the tank Saban won his seventh national championship last season, breaking a tie with Bear Bryant for the most by an FBS head coach since the AP poll debuted in 1936. He's also moved into the top 10 on the all-time FBS wins list, passing Lou Holtz and Tom Osborne. And now Saban has a chance to move up two more spots in 2021, entering the season one win behind Lavelle Edwards and three behind Mac Brown. But Saban's going to turn 70 during Alabama's off week before facing LSU this season. Only one coach has won a national championship after turning 70, and that's the late Bobby Bowden in 1999. So I asked Zach Barnett, national college football writer for Football Scoop, can anything or anyone slow Saban down? At one point in time, I did think, oh, you know, just, just wait till Kirby Smart leaves, just, just wait till Lane Kiffin leaves, wait till Scott Cochran leaves. Then you'll see uh, the the machinery start to to come apart, and obviously that hasn't happened. Alabama just keeps getting better, and all it's all because of one guy. Uh, the, you know, not not to say that he could change out his entire staff year in and year out, not notice a blip, but there's no one assistant, no two assistants that uh, ultimately decide the fate. It's all about uh, the the relentless, unapologetic. Uh, unflinching greatness of Nick Saban, the, the greatest college football coach of all time. Now, if Alabama does win the playoff this year, Saban would become the oldest coach to win an FBS national championship, two weeks older than Bowden was when the 2000 Sugar Bowl was played. And let's take a look at the schedule. What's the road like for Bama? They'll open the season against Miami at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where it's 5-0 and since the building opened in 2017. And Zach Barnett says this game is one of the top three non-conference games of the entire season. Yeah, so you'll, you'll get Bryce Young, uh, we presume to be his first game as Alabama starting quarterback. Uh, first game with Bill O'Brien as the offensive 
coordinator. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Alabama kind of popularized, they, they revived the concept of these neutral site opening, uh, neutral site kickoff games after the concept kind of went away for a little while. And, uh, yeah, as I know, they're 10 and 0 in these games and they've never really been challenged. They're, uh, Nick Saban's always has his teams ready and I, I, I fully expect him to roll uh, Miami in this game, but it's, so it's notable in the fact that we get our first look at the defending champions, but it's also notable because this is really the last one of these games that Alabama's going to play. The, the concept is going to live on, uh, with, with, you know, annual games in Atlanta. Sometimes Atlanta has two or three games in the opening weekend. You know, Dallas has a game every year. It seems like Houston, Orlando get in on the fact. Uh, Charlotte has a game, but Alabama is moving on to, to playing traditional neutral site games against you know, the Big 12 and, and the ACC and, and the and the Big 10. So uh, they're, they're kind of graduating. So this will be the, the last time we get to see Alabama in one of these games. The Tide also have a regular season date with Florida for the first time since 2014 and are traveling to Gainesville for the first time since 2011. Moving down the schedule, Bama visits A&M and Mississippi State on back-to-back weekends in October. And the team doesn't leave the state of Alabama, so they're going to get a little home cooking over the final six weeks of the season. So with the roster turnover, a tough schedule, can Alabama repeat as national champs again? Here's Jeff Mazidlo, sports writer at Yard Barker. I think they can, again, because I, I, I really believe that until there's until we see if there's any team that's in that caliber, I, I don't believe so. I think, you know, a lot of hype is going to be put on Bryce Young, the quarterback, who may be an early Heisman. You know, he's the cool thing to do is brand these guys as Heisman favorites before they even step on the field. Now, he's played some, but never in a, you know, in a kind of a prominent role. But, you know, as, as, as their quarterback, and there's a lot of hype surrounding him. Uh, but again, you just look down, you know, they can go five deep at running back if they need to. They're... They're uh, they're still going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country, and an embarrassment uh, of riches. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and, and I I I believe possibly they could, you know, that that they have a chance to go to to go undefeated. I, you never say anything that, of course, there's no guarantees. But I mean, if there's one team on this, uh, you know, that we look at um, for 2021 that has the potential to do it is 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 them because I think. Again, it's it's kind of like you know that culture that we talk about, and and, and they do have that embarrassment of riches. I mean, they've got to go to Florida to, to play, and they add Texas A and M, and those are probably you would think their two biggest games. I mean, they open with Miami, but I don't really, you know, I don't really see that as being. You no, know, that's a neutral site game too. They're going to play that in Atlanta. Sure, but um, you know, I think Florida could be, but Florida early in the season, if you're playing, I think that's an advantage that Alabama gets because I mean, if you're Florida or your Eddie team, you know, you might want to wait and see if you could, you know, the schedule's nice to you and you, you play them in maybe mid-October or something like that, where you've had a chance to establish yourself a little bit. Texas A&M, they get them in the second weekend of October. So that's going to be a, you know, that's maybe the one place where Alabama has, has had its, its issues in the past. Um, but to me, I, 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 you know, I really believe that they are, they are the best team out there. And, you know, they, again, they don't close the season in Auburn. Auburn's got a new head coach. There's a new culture there. We'll see how that plays out. But to me, yeah, I, I mean, I think they, they definitely have the potential to do it. A lot of it's going to be, we know the offense is going to be good. It's really going to be, they can stay healthy. And if that defense continues to be dominant. Now we move onward to Athens and the Georgia Bulldogs. They went 8-2 and two in the season, 7-2 and two in the SEC. 
in their 2020 postseason. They won the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl versus Cincinnati 24-21. Kirby Smart enters his sixth season with the school. He is 52-14 and in five seasons and has led the Bulldogs to a New Year's Six Bowl in each of the past four years. And he's back. Quarterback JT Daniels back on their center after not taking a snap in Georgia's first six games of 2020. The former USC signal caller started the final four games for the Bulldogs, completing 67% of his passes for 1,231 yards and 10 scores. And wow, he only had two picks in those four games. Daniel's mark of 10.3 yards per attempt ranked second among 84 Power 5 players with at least 75 pass attempts last season behind only Alabama's Mac Jones. And wow, Georgia's offense was so much more productive under Daniels than it was in games started by Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis. According to Bet Online, Daniels has the second shortest odds to win the 2021 Heisman Trophy. And Georgia is set to return 84% of its offensive production from last season, the highest among SEC teams. And don't forget, that includes leading rusher Zamir White, whose 11 rushing touchdowns ranks top five in the SEC and top 10 among Power 5 players. However, one of the key returnees, George Pickens, suffered an ACL injury in late March, but the school expects him to make a full recovery. Pickens led the Bulldogs with six receiving touchdowns in 2020, despite missing two of the team's 10 games. And while Georgia is bringing back a lot on the offensive side of the ball, it's only returning 39% of its defensive production, the lowest among SEC teams. But the good news is Georgia does return its leading tackler from last season in N'Kobe Dean. The inside linebacker missed spring practice after undergoing shoulder surgery this offseason, but will be back to lead the Bulldogs unit that finished 2020 ranked third in the FBS. To help replace the production it's losing in the secondary, Georgia recently picked up a transfer in safety Tyreek Smith, formerly of West Virginia. Smith earned third-team AP All-American honors as a sophomore in 2020 and pulled down two picks in 10 games with the Mountaineers last season. And wow, they were hot on the recruiting trail. Georgia finished with the number three class in the 2021 ESPN 300 rankings behind only Alabama and Clemson. It's Kirby Smart's fifth straight top three class with Georgia, and it's 11 straight top 10 finish for the Bulldogs. And all that had NBC Sports college football analyst Eric Froton talking. There was a lot of talk in recruiting circles. It has Kirby Smart finally, finally eclipsed Nick Saban? Has he done it? Because you'll remember in 19, excuse me, 19, in 2019 and in 2020, Georgia landed the two top classes in the country. Number one, each oh, yeah. of those two times. I mean, don't get me wrong, Alabama wasn't far behind, but hey, that's Georgia getting number one. That's news. It's news everywhere. In other huge news, one of the biggest openers in all of college football is Georgia, as they will take on Clemson in Charlotte. And Zach Barnett, national college football writer for Football Scoop, has this matchup as the number one non-conference game of the year. This game is kind of the best of both worlds in that uh, these programs have a history together. They they used to play annually. They, they, they still get together every now and then. And uh, it's just undeniably a massive game. Whoever loses is, is by no means eliminated. Uh, but whoever wins, obviously, uh, will have a right to be the, the number one team in the country and uh, has the ultimate mulligan 
if they if they do drop a game. And then uh, that's not to say that there's no stakes at all because uh, no team has ever lost twice and made the playoffs. So if you're Georgia and, and you lose to Clemson, you're you're thinking, oh my gosh, we got to go undefeated. Uh, from here on out. And good news for the dogs. They've won six of its last seven meetings with Clemson. The most recent coming between these two programs was in 2014, a 41-21 Bulldogs win in Athens. They begin SEC play with a home matchup against South Carolina, and this year's meeting with Auburn marks the 126th playing of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And we can't forget about the world's largest cocktail party, well, formerly known as that, Florida snapped a three-game losing streak to Georgia with its win last season, and the winner of this game has gone on to win the SEC East in each of the previous six seasons. And the game known as clean, old-fashioned hate returns. Prior to last year, the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry had been played in each of the past 95 seasons. Now let's dip our toes in the swamp and the Florida Gators. They went 8-4 and four in a tremendous 8-2 and two in the SEC last season, though they lost to Oklahoma in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. They returned a 55% of last year's team as Dan Mullen enters his fourth season with the school, going an eye-popping 29-9 in his first three years. Mullen has led the Gators to a New Year's Six Bowl every single year at the helm. And when I spoke with three-time national championship head coach Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen was a pleasant surprise that came from his coaching tree. Because he's from New Hampshire. I remember uh, he's a brilliant coach, great offensive mind, and he was very young. And he called me one night, or he told me as we're getting ready to play Alabama in the 08 SEC Championship, he goes, I got a call from Mississippi State. And Mississippi State was really struggling back then. Sure. And I said, Dan, you don't take that job. (laughs) You're a New Hampshire guy. Wait for something that would fit your... And I underestimated, you know, I love Dan. Dan's, I'm a very close friend with Dan. He's as good as ever been around. But he, that just shows you that the, the fundamentals of leadership, uh, whether you're in a unique part of the country or not, they survive. And he survived, but not only survived, thrived at Mississippi State. And now he's doing a great job of Florida. So I'd say Dan was the, uh, the pleasant surprise. I'm very happy for him. So what about Mullen's coaching style? Well, I talk with two-time national champion and Gator tight end Tate Casey. Yeah, I think his focus. There's a, there's not there's not a lot of things that I can pull out of his coaching style in '08 that that is now his coaching style as a head coach, um, except for the ones that really he's not going to stray too far from because he's had success, and that's kind of how he was he was brought up under Urban. The preparation, the consistency. The, the level of expectation and what that Gator standard is, I think that's all going to be there. And it's, you know, due in large part to who he came up under in the coaching ranks and what kind of success he's had with it. You know, that system has pretty, been pretty fell yeah, a lot yeah, of coaches. Um, but that, that being said, he's also adapted his own coaching style as a head coach. You know, Urban, Urban and Dan Muller are two different types of head coach. And I really appreciate seeing how Dan Mullen handles the team and he's very personal with his players and you know he's a little bit a little bit more dialed down and lax at times with his with his uh he doesn't get too yelling and screaming and, and this and that and he gets his point across when he has to. Uh and with Dan Mullen, you know, at that point you, you gotta watch out because he's probably ready to get after somebody pretty good. <laughs> but it, it, it's pretty cool to see kind of how he is as a head coach versus how he was as a really 
young, fiery assistant. Well, Mullen's going to need to bring that fire this season because all the talk in Gainesville is about the loss of the star power on offense. Gone is starting quarterback Kyle Trask, who turned in the most prolific season in Florida history. But redshirt junior Emory Jones is expected to take the place of Trask as the Gators' starting quarterback. And over the last three seasons, Jones has played 24 games, completed 64% of his passes, including seven touchdowns and just one interception. And expect that offense to feature more quarterback runs to take advantage of Jones' dual-threat capabilities. Jones has rushed for 514 yards and six TDs in his career. Wow, also gone is all-world tight end Kyle Pitts, the John Mackey Award winner as the nation's most outstanding tight end and wide receiver Kadarius Toney. But if you like fix-ins, the defense is what needs some fixing down there in Gainesville. In 2020, the Gators' defense was un-Gator-like, allowing nearly 31 points per game, the most by Florida during an AP poll era, which began back in 1936. One particular area of concern is pass defense. Florida allowed an SEC high 28 touchdown passes and the Gators 21 completions of 30 yards or more is the fourth most in the conference. They hope they solve that problem. Head coach Dan Mullen hired veteran SEC assistant coach Wesley McGriff as a new secondaries coach and adding a new cornerbacks coach. With all those question marks, Florida will have its hands full trying to win its second consecutive SEC championship. And that road is not easy. Their biggest test will be against defending national champion Alabama in Gainesville. But is there an advantage in the swamp? Here again is Tate Casey. I've been to a few, you know, as a fan. I've uh, been to Auburn. Uh, you know, I've been to South Carolina. Uh, you know, obviously now I'm doing the, the sideline broadcast. So I've been to Death Valley and a couple other places. But, you know, there's really nothing like it. And, and for Florida, we, we're not like LSU right now. You know, LSU's done a lot to build that stadium up and, and put, you know, even more noise on top of you. And I've also been to stadiums that, that pump noise and crowd noise into the stadium and music and everything yep. else. Florida, the best part about Florida, in my opinion, is what you get is, is nothing but fans. All real. There's no, there's no you know, amplified crowd noise and, and trying to control the tempo of the game. It's literally what's right on top of you. And, man, when they get rowdy, they get rowdy. <laughs> uh, and I think that's the true momentum swings in the game. Uh, you feel them a little bit more. You know, they're a little more amplified because it's crowd noise, crowd control. And so, you know, it's deafening at those moments in the game that mean in their first meeting with Alabama outside of the SEC championship game since 2014 and first meeting in Gainesville since 2011, they are seeking their first win over Alabama since 2008 SEC championship game when they went on to win the national championship. And what about the annual matchup in Jacksonville against Georgia, formerly known as the world's largest cocktail party? Well, first team All-American tight end and SEC champion for the University of Florida, Ben Troop sums it up nicely. There is nothing like Florida, Georgia, because you got two states that already think that they wish they didn't border each other. You got two fan bases that think one fan base is, is the Antichrist. It's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Now let's cruise the college station and that Texas A&M Aggies. They went 9-1, and 8-1 in the SEC. And in the postseason, they defeated number 13 North Carolina 41-27 in the Capital One Orange Bowl. And wow, they come into this season red hot. The Aggies ended the season on an eight-game winning streak, and they won each of their final seven games by double digits. 
Jimbo Fisher's squad was ranked fourth in the final poll, the second highest finish in school history, and the highest since 1939. The big question mark, though, is who is at quarterback? After Kellen Mond bypasses extra year of eligibility to enter the NFL draft after four seasons, AM will have a new starting quarterback for the first time in a long time. Haynes King and Zach Calzada are expected to compete for the starting job, but only King played last season, completing two of four passes, 59 yards, a touchdown, and an interception as a freshman. Zach's only collegiate experience came in 2019 when he completed 12 of 24 passes for 133 yards, two scores, and an INT. But it's tight end Jalen Weidemeyer that has scout and NFL draft analyst Ryan Roberts' attention. He has all the size attributes that he's listed at like 6'5", 260, 265, big body guy. Um, he's that catch point tight ends. You know, he's a guy that's hard to cover, you know, with, with the, you know, he's, he's either going to be a little too athletic for some linebackers or he's going to be much too big to handle with some defensive backs. So he's kind of a mismatch with his size and he's a smooth athlete. I wouldn't call him a dynamic athlete, but he's very interesting to say the least. Interesting indeed. In 23 career games, he's caught 78 balls for almost 1,000 yards and 12 scores. And Jimbo was hot on the recruiting trail, and all that had NBC Sports college football analyst Eric Froton talking. As the Texas A&M Aggies edged out the Longhorns to nab running back L.J. Johnson, what influenced the four-star back to go with Jimbo Fisher and running backs coach Tommy Robinson, and what does he bring to the table? Sure, well, gosh, anytime you're... You're recruiting in Texas. You got Texas A&M and you got Texas battling each other out for a star running back. You know, it's it's going to be hated. But uh, what, what I really think did it for L.J. Johnson in, in terms of the system that Texas A&M is running, you see what they've done with Isaiah Spiller, you know, Devin A. Chain, who, uh, you know, just is a true freshman this year. My gosh, we saw how dynamic he is. Uh, even in a secondary role, spelling that pounder in, uh, in Isaiah Spiller, Great tradition of running backs with Jimbo. He obviously wants to establish a run and really pounded. Elliot Johnson probably looked over at Texas and Texas and said, "All right, uh, B. John Johnson, B. John Robinson is there, <laughs> and that guy is a future first, second round NFL running back, and he is. So I wouldn't want to be, uh, you know, sitting behind Mr. Robinson for the next two years at the very least and, and buying my time. The good thing is you look at Texas A&M." And uh, Spill is there. This will probably be his last season. He gets a nice little year of apprenticeship. And you can see Johnson with his skill set, you know, 5'10", 204, a little bit bigger than A-Chain, uh, really being able to get a year to fill out a little more and then take over that Isaiah Spiller role. Um, you know, he mentions the system, what he's done over the past few years, his offense, his running backs, uh, and the progression they've made and, and how they project to the NFL level is something that, that LJ really pointed out was a, was a differentiating factor. And the fact that, you know, their offensive line is no joke either. I mean, let's let's remember Texas A&M is is recruiting at an absolute elite level, and you have to in the SEC West in order to be successful. You know, 2021 class, seventh overall nationally, fourth in the SEC. Uh, you know, brought in some road graders in on the offensive line: Bryce Foster, Marcus Burris, Ruben Fathery. Uh, you know, it's really easy to see from. You know, LJ's perspective to look at those guys and say, "All right, well, I know that I've be behind got them. <laughs> some hosses. Yeah, we got some big old Texas farm boys. You know, they're coming down and they're ready to clear a path. So when you know that you have an organizational philosophy from the top down, from the program, you know, it starts with Jimbo. You see his commitment to recruiting and, and just crushing those offensive line prospects. 
know, that's uh, that's something that's tough to pass up. So you're going to see a lot from Mr. Johnson over the next couple of years. And on the defensive side of the ball, one player sticks out as a difference maker in Ryan Roberts' mind. That's DeMarvin Leal. Six foot four, 290 pounds. I graded him as a defensive end, as an edge, just because that's what he plays. He's a base 4-3 defensive end in Texas A&M system. I actually think he's going to play more like a 3-4 defensive end role where he's going to play like that 5-tech, 4-I type of player because he has kind of those size attributes to him. But I think that this kid, I, I don't think early on that it's a great interior defensive line class. But when you see the development with him, if we get him to 300 pounds and he's still this type of athlete, I mean, this kid is doing backflips. Like, he is a stupid athlete. So if we are able to get him to be the best version of himself, this kid is potentially special. Like, he has, he's not nearly as big as DeForest Buckner, but I think that he has that type of, to force Buckner penetration ability from a three, four alignment. Like I think that he definitely has that ability. And he's getting noticed as the junior was named to the Walter camp preseason, all American first team and earn Athlon sports preseason, all American first team honors. Good news for Jimbo and the guys. They get the crimson tide and plenty of other teams at home while they play neutral site games against Colorado in Denver and Arkansas in Arlington and M just three true road games. And Giga Nation even luckier when it comes to SEC opponents they face this season, avoiding both Florida and Georgia, and instead drawing Mizzou and South Carolina. And a team looking for a prayer at Jordan Hare, the Auburn Tigers. They went 6-5, six 6-4 and five, six and four in the SEC last season. In the postseason, they lost to the number 14 Northwestern, 35-19 in the Verbo Citrus Bowl. But a new era in Auburn football begins as former Boise State head coach Brian Harson takes over for Gus Malzahn after eight seasons. He is the first Auburn head coach hire without SEC experience since Terry Bowden replaced college football Hall of Famer Pat Dye in 1993. So the big question, can Harson make the leap from Boise to Auburn? I turn to sports writer Jeff Mazidlow with the answers. That's like big fish in a little pond over to, uh, you know, jumping right into the Iron Bowl and to the SEC. And, <laughs> yeah. and, Welcome and to be, the SEC. But you know what? Maybe that's good. Maybe that's what you need where, you know, I think the, the expectations for him maybe not as high. I think there's more excitement than there is um, pressure for him at this point because it's time to finally move on from the Gus Malzahn era, which you know, I think maybe, I don't want to say those fans were too hard on him, but uh, I, I don't think he did as bad of a job as they thought. Maybe they, they, they gave him enough space to, to, or enough time to, to make them into a, you know, a perennial power. And that didn't always happen, but, or that didn't happen. But uh, I, I think there's some excitement. There's a lot. In fact, there's a lot of excitement with what Harson can do. And will it be an overnight thing? No, I don't think so. I think there's still going to be, you know, and a, a, a you know nine eight eight to ten win team possibly if they if things go their way. Harson went seventy six and twenty four in eight seasons as a head coach of the Broncos, reaching the Mountain West Championship game in five of the past seven seasons, including three conference titles. But how will he fare in the unfriendly confines of the SEC? Here's national college football writer Zach Barnett. I applaud Auburn for not just doing the Auburn thing and, and going out and getting, you know, an SEC guy or a guy that, that um, you know, that, that was close by and, and um, taking a risk here. Uh, I, I think, you know, he obviously doesn't have any SEC experience, but um, at the same time, 
this conference can be a lot of it can be really incestuous in, in the way it hires and the way it thinks. So to to get a, a fresh perspective, um, I mean, Urban Meyer never worked in the SEC until he did. Nick Saban never worked in the SEC until he did. So I'm not I'm not saying that Brian Harson is going to be those guys, but a guy that has has proven he can he can sustain a, a winning culture uh, by what he did at Boise. A guy that was hungry for a fresh challenge. He was clearly hungry to prove himself at the at the top level. Um, he, he, I, there's published emails showed that he, he pretty clearly grew bored of the Mountain West Conference. So I think he'll be energized by the challenge of it, and that's job one. So I, I like I like the risk that Auburn took here. Okay, his familiarity with the SEC is minimal, but Harson's two most important hires are not. Mike Bobo, a longtime assistant at Georgia and former Colorado State head coach who spent the 2020 season at South Carolina, will serve as offensive coordinator. And Derek Mason, Vandy's coach from 2014 to 2020, will serve as his defensive coordinator. And have we seen Bo's best? Bo Nix's consistency has been a looming issue since he arrived at Auburn and ranked sixth in the SEC last season with a 73 total QBR. An improvement from where he was as a freshman, but not nearly the leap many expected his sophomore campaign when you consider he was the number two ranked QB in the class of 2019 coming out of high school. The talent and the dual threat ability is there to develop. Knicks has touchdowns both passing and rushing in 10 games since the start of 2019. No SEC quarterback has more in that span. And keep an eye out for a breakout candidate, Tank Bigsby. He returns for his sophomore season on the Plains, making many wonder what he can do for an encore. Bigsby earned SEC co-freshman of the year honors in 2020, rushing for 834 yards, the second most for an Auburn freshman in program history. No freshman had more all-purpose yards than Bigsby's 1,224 and his six yards per rush not only led all freshmen in 2020, but was the most by an Auburn player since James Bostick in 1993. And let's look at the road ahead. Auburn opens the season with consecutive home games for the first time since 2016. So what can the Tigers opposing teams expect? Here's legendary Auburn quarterback Jason Campbell. Yeah, or you go, yeah, our faithful man, our fan base is crazy. I tell people, I would not want to play in Auburn at nighttime. I said, because <laughs> I know Valley and LSU is tough. But Auburn is another tough atmosphere. Like Auburn fans get really loud and rowdy when, when it's a big football game. And we don't lose many in Auburn because of that aspect of having those fans. Auburn travels to State College, Pennsylvania to face Penn State in Beaver Stadium on September 18th in its first regular season game played against a Big Ten opponent. Brian Harson's first conference game will be on October 2nd at LSU. The Tigers have lost 10 straight in Death Valley their longest active road streak against a single opponent. And that deep South's oldest rivalry, Auburn and Georgia, is renewed on October 9th. And you can't forget the traditional regular season finale during Thanksgiving week against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And it's one of the biggest rivalry games in all of college football. Don't believe me? Well, we go back to Auburn legend Jason Campbell to explain. Yeah, the Iron Bowl meant a lot. Uh... You know, especially in that state, there's no NFL team. So anytime you play on either the Auburn team or the Alabama team, like you're going to be highly recognized in that game. You know, people look forward to it. Uh, it's very intense. Um, 
at the same time, you know, you build rivalries against each other, and then later on, you see each other golf courses. And at the NFL, we all sit and joke about it, laugh about it. But at the time, you're playing in that game. I tell people, you want to experience a rivalry game, you have to go to an Auburn and an Alabama game at least one time in your life. Next up are the boys from Baton Rouge, the LSU Tigers. They went a paltry 5-5 five and five in the SEC last season. They didn't have any postseason play due to a self-imposed one-year ban. And the Tigers are looking to rebound after a turbulent 2020 season. The Bayou Bengals lost five of their first eight games, but won the final two games of the season. And they were plagued by a myriad of issues from player attrition to coaching departures to opt-outs. 19 of the 21 starters from LSU's victory over Clemson in the national championship game were not on the 2020 team due to graduation, early departures for the NFL, and opt-outs. And Jeff Mazidlo, sports writer at Yardbarker, thinks they are due to rebound this season. I don't think anybody expected them, or, or anybody that really follows the game, expected them to be a national championship caliber team uh, again, just because of, you know, when you're losing the Heisman Trophy candidate and Jamar Chase opted not to play. That was that was a big blow. Um, but it, it'll be, you know, they, they did end the season on a, on a pretty decent note. You know, they went five and five, and but they had to win their last two games. But winning at Florida um, was a big deal. For them, they just got to shore up that defense. I mean, they, they, it seems like they've kind of settled on the, the you know, they've got a, uh, the quarterback situation's okay. But this was a team that, that gave up 350 points in 10 games last year. So um, that's quite a lot. And, you know, they went over, I think, what, one, two, three, four, five times over over forty points, including a fifty-five point uh, Alabama drop, fifty-five on them. So if they can get if if they can get that side short up, and I think you know that's maybe a program that will just write off everything that happened. You know they had some COVID issues, and regardless of what you think of Coach Ed Orgeron's position on that, um, you would like to think that they're they're probably more stable and they're more focused on on doing things the way they're they're used to doing and the disruption you know hurt them as much as anybody else did so i expect them to bounce back at least a winning season i don't know if they're if they're sc quite sec championship game caliber yet at this point um but i think that yeah they'll, they'll, they'll be back in a bowl game well that's music to the tigers ears but lsu put up the worst defensive numbers in history since 1952 which is as far back as the yearly defensive statistics are tracked in the record books. But to turn it around, LSU needs the top recruits to step up. And Eric Froton, college football analyst for NBC Sports, loves, I mean, loves what the Tigers have done. LSU is still recruiting at a high level. They were, they were number four in the country last year. And even with all the heat that they're taking, the Les Miles era, obviously. I mean, yeah. some of those wins, they have their, their prices. You hear some... The story's coming out about the program where they're, they're taking a beating. Ed Orgeron taking a beating. Didn't didn't dissuade any of these big recruits. You know, that 2019 was so magical, you know, that they're still recruiting off it. They're still doing it despite the fact they had, a you know, a down 2020. Yeah, very surprising. Essentially, oh, God, their defense was brutal. Oh, <laughs> Singley went down and got hurt in that first game, and then they had nobody in that secondary, and they just got – Lit on fire on a seemingly weekly basis, <laughs> even though they, you know, they, they, they straightened it out a little bit towards the end of the season, but you know, the damage was done at that point. Yeah. So uh, even in a retooling effort, LSU still recruiting strong. And in another strong move, 
Coach O moved on from Pelini after the season and replaced him with Durante Jones, who spent 2020 coaching the Minnesota Vikings defensive backs. Jones also spent a year at Wisconsin coaching the Badgers DBs in 2015, and he has asked to restore the roar to a unit that allowed the fifth fewest in the SEC over that span. So who will start at quarterback, and what will this offense look like? Coach O once again dipped his toes in the NFL waters and hired former Carolina Panthers running back coach Jake Peets as the new offensive coordinator and paired him with passing game coordinator DJ Mangus, a former offensive assistant with the Panthers. The new tandem will have to decide who takes the snaps. Senior Miles Brennan, who started the first three games of last season before being lost for the year with an abdominal injury against Missouri, And in those three games, Brennan completed 60.3% of his passes for 1,112 yards, 11 scores, and three INTs, while posting a 63.6 total QBR. Also returning are true sophomores TJ Finley and Max Johnson. In five games, all starts, Finley completed 57.1% of his passes for 941 yards, Five scores, five interceptions, and posted a 65.4 total QBR. LSU won two of his five starts. Now, Johnson played in six games starting the last two of the season, both LSU wins. He completed 58.7% of his passes for over 1,000 yards, eight TDs, and just one interception for a 59.1 total QBR. Johnson is the son of former NFL quarterback Brad Johnson. The Tigers also landed Garrett Nussmeyer, the number 14th ranked pocket passer in the 2021 ESPN 300. So what lies ahead? LSU opens the season against UCLA. It will be their first meeting between the two programs. And Zach Barnett, National College Football Writer for Football Scoop, said this is a game to keep an eye on. LSU hardly ever goes west. Um, UCLA, I think, uh, you know, they, they finally showed sides of life under Chip Kelly last year. So it's going to be a great opportunity for them to prove that they're for real uh, against the LSU team that, that's going to be breaking in uh, new schemes on both sides of the ball as well. The Tigers will also meet Central Michigan for the first time in the history of the programs. And as LSU won at Alabama in 2019, they will be seeking to win in consecutive trips there for the first time since winning four straight trips in 2001, 03, 05, and 07. Now let's head to Lexington and the Kentucky Wildcats. They were one game below 500, going 5-6 last season. In the 2020 postseason, they beat NC State 23-21 in the Tax Later Gator Bowl. They are led by Mark Stoops, who is entering his ninth season with the school. He's gone 49-50 in his first eight seasons, but Stoops led the Wildcats to five straight bowl games, which is tied for the longest streak in school history. But it was like they were stuck in quicksand. Kentucky could not move the ball consistently a year ago, and its defense did a serviceable job keeping the Cats in the game, even leading the SEC in pass defense. But Kentucky scored 10 points or fewer in four games, all ending in losses. That end result was the hiring of L.A. Rams offensive staffer Liam Cohen to the same position as well as QB's coach. Cohen spent the last three seasons as an assistant, wide receiver, and QB coach with the Rams after running the offense at Maine the previous two years. So who's going to be on their center for the Cats? Veteran starting QB Terry Wilson moved on to New Mexico for his final year of his eligibility, and Kentucky is likely to start Auburn transfer Joey Gatewood, 
Sophomore Bo Allen or Penn State transfer Will Levis. Gatewood made one start in seven appearances last season, taking a whopping four sacks in a 14-3 home loss to Georgia. Allen appeared in just two games a year ago, completing just three passes for 40 yards. The most versatile of the three may be Levis, who is a threat as a rusher, having carried 15-plus times in four games last season. But hold on a second. There's a new weapon from the transfer portal, and that excites sports writer Jeff Mazidlo the most. Uh, one guy to watch, too, uh, who I always thought was one of the, the uh, more exciting underrated players in the country was uh, Wondell Robinson, who was at um, uh, Nebraska, kind of an all-purpose guy, played lined up a wide receiver mostly, but they would, you know, they would, they would pitch the ball to him and get it, try to get him in open space. He's transferred to Kentucky. So that's going to be, you know, see how he fares in, uh, in the SEC. Because I think his game is 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 built for actually, you know, he's got the speed to play in that conference. He's got the toughness certainly to play in the Big Ten. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see him there. So that's the one non-quarterback that I'm going to watch. Uh, keep my eye on this year. Robinson returns to the Bluegrass after playing two seasons at Nebraska. He brings with him career totals include 580 rushing yards, 914 receiving yards, and over 1,700 all-purpose yards. Now the running back position figures to be a strong one led by Chris Rodriguez Jr. and the best name at football, Cavosier Smoke. Rodriguez produced four 100-yard games a year ago, and he piled up seven rush TDs over his last three games. His 6.6 yards per carry were first in the SEC. On the other side of the ball, Kentucky loses 60% of his defense production from a year ago, but it's not all doom and gloom, as UK kept itself in the game last season by being opportunistic the Wildcats led the SEC in interceptions and scored three defensive touchdowns, tied for third most in the league. And quietly, Kentucky pulled in a strong 2021 recruiting class with three ESPN 300 prospects. And they now have nine ESPN 100 recruits over the past two classes, their most in any two-year span. So what's that schedule look like? Kentucky will get some home cooking early in the season, playing five of its first six games at home, that hasn't happened since 2015. And they looked like Gator Bait as they have dropped 16 straight home games to Florida. The Cats can pick up their first home win against the Gators since 1986 on October 2nd. And they're going to host LSU for the third time in the past 20 seasons and the first time since 2007. The previous two such games were decided on the final play. Next up is Knoxville and the Tennessee Volunteers. They just went a lowly 3-7 and seven last season. Didn't go to a bowl game for the third time in the last four seasons. But the hopes of Rocky Top hang on a hypo. As new AD Danny White didn't have to look far to land his next football head coach, naming UCF's Josh Heupel as the Vols' next head man. Heupel was 28-8 with the Knights, including a 12-1 record in his first season in 2018. However, they finished 6-4 this past season. UCF led the FBS with over 540 yards per game in the three seasons as head coach. And Jeff Mazzillo thinks this is all good for the program. You know what? I think that's a great hire, too. That's a, you know, there's another guy kind of like in the mold of, of Harson who, you know, had tremendous success with a, with a, uh, a smaller program, but a pro, you know, a perennial program that, you know, that those group of five programs that you expected to be there and challenge and put their name in the conversation for, uh, you know, a group of six uh, or a, a New Year's Eve six ball, a New Year's six ball. 
And, um, you know, now he's going to, he's stepping up to a, a big time program, a program that really needs to not only do things well on the field, but obviously do it off the field. And from all accounts, he's a class guy and, he, you know, players love to play for him. And again, I think that's a kind of a case with, with, um, what we were talking about with Auburn, the same thing in Tennessee, where you've got some excitement now. Now Tennessee was getting better. Tennessee, that program was was showing signs of progress, sure, uh, which was which was good to see. But I think now, I think they it's kind of like this clean start where we could build on what was going right off on the field and not maybe have to worry about what was going on the field. But not everyone is thrilled with the hire of Hypel. Zach Barnett, national college football writer for Football Scoop, says, "Not so fast, my friend." You know, this one I'm not so sure about. Uh, it's a hire that, um, you know, if we're being honest in the SEC, when, if you're an SEC rival and you hear that Tennessee's hiring Josh Heupel, then it's not someone that, that's going to keep you up at night. Uh, they, I mean, they, they got a little bit worse every year that he was there from taking over from Scott Foss. Obviously, this year uh, was an asterisk given UCF had more opt-outs than, just, than most teams did. But, I mean, Tennessee's it's a tough job, and they're in a tremendous hole right now. And I, I, I don't know if Josh Heupel and his staff are going to be the guys that can, that can dig them out of it. I will say he, he – I, I fully expect him to have a, a threatening a, – an offense that can threaten just about anybody in the SEC. He, he has proven he can coach quarterbacks and he can scheme up a really good offense. But I, I don't know if, this, if they can bring in – the players needed to to just be good consistently. I think that's going to be uh, bar number one, and then we'll worry about championships later. Either way, Heupel's offensive acumen will be put to the test immediately as he inherits a glaring issue under center. Tennessee's total QBR of 51.9 ranks second to last ahead of only South Carolina. So they dipped into the transfer portal and came out with former Michigan QB Joe Milton. In five starts during the 2020 season, Milton passed for over 1,000 yards with four touchdowns and four INTs. And a whole battle player who hasn't even donned the orange and white. Hendon Hooker left Virginia Tech and joined Tennessee football as a grad transfer this offseason. He might be the perfect fit for Heupel's system as a dual-threat athlete. Hooker is one of 10 returning Power 5 quarterbacks with at least 20 passing touchdowns and at least 10 rushing touchdowns over the past two seasons. Looking at the schedule, Tennessee gets the friendly confines of Neyland Stadium as they open the year with three consecutive home games for the second time in the past three seasons. The Vols have only started 3-0 once in the past 15 years. And former Tennessee head coach Lane Kiffin returns to Knoxville for the first time as head coach on October 16th when he and the Ole Miss Rebels come into town. And that annual rivalry game between Tennessee and Alabama will be played on the fourth Saturday in October for the second year in a row. Tennessee closes its regular season with some home cooking, three home games, beginning with a November 13th showdown with Georgia. And now we go onward to Oxford and the Ole Miss Rebels. They went just 4-5 and five in the SEC, but defeated 11th-ranked Indiana 26-20 in the Outback Bowl. So it's all aboard the lane train. After getting off to a slow 1-4 start, Kiffin got rolling as Ole Miss finished 4-1 down the stretch. Ole Miss lost receiver Elijah Moore and tight end Kenny Yaboa, but will return their gunslinger quarterback, Matt Carroll. 
and he was lights out. Leading the nation in total offense and ranked top five in the FBS in completion percentage, passing yards per game, and total QBR last season. However, Matt threw 14 INTs last season, which is second most in the FBS behind only Duke's Chase Bryce. And Ole Miss went 0-4 when he threw an interception, 5-1 when he didn't, with the only loss coming at Alabama. The Rebels led the SEC in rushing and total offense, but ranked last in the league in those same categories defensively. Let's take a sneak peek inside that schedule. The SEC East opponents Ole Miss faces this season are Vanderbilt and Tennessee, and they finished in the bottom of the half of the division last season, and both have new head coaches entering this season. Of course, none of that is as interesting as the November 6th contest against Liberty, in which former Ole Miss head coach Hugh Freeze will make his return to Oxford. Now we shoot on over to Starksville and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They went 4-7, and seven, just 3-7 and seven in the SEC last season. They did beat Tulsa in the Armed Forces Bowl in the postseason, but the cupboard is not bare as they returned 79% of their starters. Now Mike Leach's first season in the SEC started strong, going on the road and beating defending national champions LSU, but things turned south quickly for the Bulldogs, going just 4-7 and seven and, and averaging 21.4 points per game. Leach brought his pass-heavy attack to Starksville, leading the FBS in percent of pass plays once again. Last season, Stanford transfer K.J. Costello started the season, but after some struggles, freshman Will Rogers took over and showed some strides over the course of the season. So it looks like Rogers could be the next in the long line of prolific leech coach passers of the 25 best seasons in FBS history in terms of passing yards. Seven were coached under Mike Leach. And the defense picked up the slack last season as a unit ranked 18th in efficiency last season and returns 85% of his production this season. Looking at the schedule, Mississippi State faces Louisiana Tech to start the season. The Bulldogs should be on alert as Mike Leach's teams have shown a tendency to lose games versus lesser opponents. Two weeks after the Tech game, they travel to Memphis to play an AAC team for just the second time with their first coming in last year's bowl game versus Tulsa. And the Bulldogs are going to try and snap that three-game losing streak against non-conference Power 5 opponents in its second game versus NC State. And wow, a tough stretch to start the SEC season is capped off by an October 16th game against Alabama. And now we have the Arkansas Razorbacks, 3-7 and seven in the SEC last season, and their Texas Bowl with TCU was canceled. But those Hogs look to make more strides in year two in the Sam Pittman era. In Pittman's first season, not only did the Hogs snap its 20-game SEC losing streak, but they won three conference games in a season for the first time since 2016. So what can the fans expect in season two? Pittman made a reputation as an offensive line coach and the Hogs starting offensive line returns intact. That could be the strength for the team. However, the Hogs will be breaking in a new quarterback as Felipe Franks, the graduate transfer from Florida, is gone. So they're going to look to redshirt sophomore K.J. Jefferson as he's expected to take over the Raising Backs starting QB position. Jefferson is the number 17th ranked dual threat quarterback in the 2019 ESPN 300. He's played eight games in his career, including two starts. The bad news is he's only completed 47.2% of his passes for 492 yards, three TDs, and an INT. He also rushed for 125 yards and four TDs. 
and has a total QBR of 45.6. He's going to look to improve on those numbers behind a veteran offensive line and being in the second season under offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles' system. Jefferson will also have a second-team All-SEC receiver Traylon Burks to throw to. Last season, he called 51 passes for 825 yards and 7 TDs. And wow, scouting NFL draft analyst Ryan Roberts is high on Burks. So if you like if you like LaVisca Chenault coming out of Colorado, you're going to love uh, Traylon Burks because he is a guy that is used almost, you know, to the exact, you know, stereotype of that system. Like he is playing a slot receiver role. They're sending him in motion. They're giving him jet sweeps. They are using him basically as a big move piece. He's almost like an, a detached H-back. Like he is in the slot working from that alignment of ton, running some RPO action. The thing that is really interesting about a guy like Traylon Burst, which I think is going to make him potentially a first-round selection down the road, is six foot three, listed on the roster, over 230 pounds. Yeah, big boy. He is big boy, yeah. He's a physically put-together guy. He looks like a small tight end on the field to a degree, and I think that he's a – legit 4-4 athlete who has ability to threaten vertically. I think that there is some work to be done as a route runner. And unfortunately, in the system that he runs and the role that he runs, uh, they don't ask for too much development at, as a route runner because he's just running a lot of very just you know, standard slants, arrow routes, you know, ver- some vertical stems, like nothing that's you know too complex. But I think from a size athleticism perspective this guy could be a huge riser he's a yak guy who breaks a ton of tackles after the catch and becomes a running back basically in the open field so i think that the comparison to a guy like a lavisca schnault is pretty apt he he kind of does the same things that that lavisca did for colorado outside of running you know the wildcat a little bit like lavisca did but i think Traylon is is kind of that move piece can play slot i think he has the size obviously to play outside versatile weapon who as an after-catch player, is potentially special. Yeah, well, he tied Boo Williams as the fastest Razorback receiver just 18 games to reach 1,000 career receiving yards since 1997. But the big question, will the defense take another step forward? After finishing 13th in the SEC and defense in 2018 and 2019, Arkansas jumped into the top five in that category in its first season under defensive coordinator Barry Odom. But despite making that jump, there is room for improvement on Odom's group. Last season, they were 10th in the SEC in scoring defense and 11th in total defense. Looking at the schedule, Arkansas will face a former Southwest Conference rival, Texas, for the first time since the 2014 Texas Bowl and for the first time in the regular season since 2008. And Zach Barnett, National College Football Writer for Football Scoop, has this game circled. So the last time Texas went to Arkansas, they've only been once since the Southwest Conference broke up. And you, you saw a pretty average Arkansas team. They, they, they finished five and six that year. Uh, nearly beat the, the eventual Rose Bowl champion Texas team. It was 22-20 with Vince Young, Cedric Benson, and that whole crew. So, I mean, Arkansas, obviously, uh, it's not to say that they don't care about LSU, Alabama, and all that stuff, but uh, certainly for the old guard, they're, they're going to get up for this game unlike any other uh, on their schedule. And so, uh, with Texas breaking in, uh, new, you know, new schemes on both sides of the ball, uh, Arkansas bringing back, uh, its staff for the second year. That's one that I, I would definitely circle. And after a one year hiatus, the Arkansas Texas A&M series returns to AT&T stadium as the two teams met at Texas A&M last season 
a 42-31 victory by the Aggies. Let's cruise to Columbia and the South Carolina Gamecocks. They went just 2-8 last season and no postseason play and only returned 47% of the team, which ranks 124th in the FBS, second lowest among Power 5 schools. The Gamecocks are one of many teams breaking in a new head honcho. In fact, it's his first head coaching position ever. Shane Beamer takes over for Will Muschamp in Columbia after spending the previous three seasons as an assistant head coach and tight ends coach under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. And wow, Gamecock fans can only hope Riley's offensive wisdom rubbed off on Beamer. For his part, Beamer has installed Marcus Satterfield, a protege of Baylor and Temple coach Matt Rule, as his offensive coordinator. But who will be the signal caller? Luke Dottie returns after making three starts as a freshman a year ago, though his last outing of 2020 left a lot to be desired. Dottie posted a total QBR of 19, just 19, in South Carolina's 41-18 season-ending loss at Kentucky. Dottie will be challenged for the starting job by Jason Brown, who played in 2019 at San Francisco PA in the FCS, and freshman Colton Gaithier. And to make matters worse, things did not look much better on the defensive side of the ball, ranking at the bottom in almost every category. And a thorny patch lies ahead for the Gamecocks. The Georgia game returns to its customary spot as South Carolina's first conference game of the season in mid-September. Then there's Texas A&M, its permanent cross-division opponent. In a bit of a scheduling quirk, South Carolina will host Auburn, for the second straight season in yet another game between teams with new coaches. And in the land of the honky-tonk, we have the Vanderbilt Commodores. They went winless last season in all nine games, but they do return eight starters on offense and six onto the defensive side of the ball. And look, Vandy can only go up from here. At a final record of 0-9 in the 2020 season for Vanderbilt, it was the worst in program history. But it's a new era in Nashville as the program hired a former Commodores player and Notre Dame defensive coordinator Clark Lee to be the new coach of the team. Lee had played at Vanderbilt from 2002 to 2004 and was the D.C. of the Irish defense for the past three seasons. His defense should help turn around a Commodores defense that struggled of late. Lee is hoping he can get off to a fast start, but we will have to battle history to do so. In the past 100 years, the only Vanderbilt head coach to have a winning record in his first season was Pankos back in 1975. And for just the second time in program history, they will face a team from the Pac-12 Conference in a marquee matchup against Stanford. On October 9th, they visit Florida, where they have only one win against the Gators since 1950. And then it's the in-state showdown as they play the final game of the season against rival Tennessee. Now we slide into the Show Me State and the Missouri Tigers, who went 5-5 five and five in the SEC last season with no postseason play. The Tigers finished third in the East in the first season under head coach Eli Drinkwitz. But Missouri struggled against ranked opposition, going just 1-4 against AP-ranked squads. The good news is the Tigers look to be set at quarterback, with Connor Bazelak returning. In 2020, he started 8 of 10 games, going 5-3 and three as a starter, while throwing for over 2,300 yards and posting the sixth best total QBR in the SEC at 72.5. On the flip side, though, Bazelak just threw 7 TD passes last season. While he returns under center, the Tigers did lose their leading rusher from last season in Larry Roundtree III. 
So this season, Mizzou's leading rusher is Tyler Batty, who had just 242 yards rushing in 2020, but did average five yards a carry. On the defensive side of the ball, the Tigers bring in some NFL experience. Steve Wilkes was hired as Missouri's new defensive coordinator in January. Wilkes had been a coach and coordinator in the NFL since 2006, including a one-year stint as head coach of the Arizona Cardinals in 2018. He takes over the defense that was seventh in the SEC in opponents' yards per game last season, but struggled in several other categories, including finishing tied with winless Vanderbilt for the fewest turnovers forced in the SEC in 2020. The Tigers open SEC play with a trip to Kentucky on September 11th, and Missouri stopped a five-game losing streak to Kentucky with a win in Columbia last season, but have not won in Lexington since 2013. Missouri's final game of September will see them travel east to face Boston College. It will be the Tigers' first game against an ACC opponent since 2011. And in terms of the SEC West on their schedule this season, Missouri faces Texas A&M at home on October 16th and travels to Arkansas on November 26th. All right, it's time to go for two. Get that kicker out of there. Two final points. Two huge college football futures at BetOnline for the SEC. So who will win the Heisman Trophy this year? Georgia quarterback JT Daniels has the second best odds to win the Heisman behind Oklahoma Spencer Rattler with Alabama QB Bryce Young with the third best odds. So two in the top three are in the SEC. And finally, how about the odds to win the 2022 championship? Alabama leads the way at plus 260 with Georgia not far behind with the fourth best odds to win the championship. Want more? Well, listen to the prior episodes and check back next week because we'll have more conference previews leading up to the start of the college football season. And of course, Believe in College Football Legends is presented by Bet Online. Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus and join us next week because it will be legendary. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.